Welcome to the Weird Learning Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel. Today's episode, How to Navigate Your Reading List. Hi, everyone. This is Tracy Dix here from Weird Learning with my good friend, Alex Alex Patel. In stereo. (laughs) In stereo. So in our last episode, we talked about should you um, go to all the events during Welcome Week or Freshers Week when you start university? And we promised that we would kind of tie this in with how to approach your reading list. So in terms of like selecting what to read and what not to read, you know, very similarly to like, should you go to everything during Freshers Week or can you opt out? Does that mean you will never make friends? Of course, that wasn't true if you listened to our last episode. So anyway, without further ado, let's dive in. Okay, so imagine you are about to go to university start of October and you've just received some material for the course. Mm. So this includes a reading list. Mm -hmm. So it might look like a document which has maybe a bit about the purpose, a bit about the topic at the top. And then a list of references. Yeah. So we could have quite a variety of things. Hang on, Alex. What are references? Ah, (laughs) (laughs) so references are the detailed information that describes a book. So it will cover the author, when it was written, the title and the publisher, that type of information. But it's not just books. Mm hmm. What kinds of materials might you find on a reading list? Oh, just before we go into that in more detail, just a quick note about resource lists. Reading lists may increasingly be called resource lists, and depending on your course, your module leaders may direct you to other types of resources, such as blogs, videos, TED Talks, and basically things that haven't been peer-reviewed. Now, peer review means that the content has been looked at by another academic. And so that gives it some kind of academic credibility, like it's a good source that you can use in your work. However, like I said, depending on your discipline, depending on the subject that you're studying, you might be directed to other kinds of resources which are not in this kind of academic canon. Okay, so you're talking about an academic canon. What types of things would you find because within that area there are different types of yes reading okay so to start off with we've got primary texts and it's really difficult to define exactly what the primary text is because you can't just say oh it's a book or it's a research article a primary text will be the central focus of what you're being asked to discuss or what you're being asked to analyze for an assignment or perhaps it could be a seminar so for example if you're doing an english degree like i did Your primary text for a particular seminar might be to look at one of Shakespeare's plays, or it might be to read a Charles Dickens novel, or it might be to read something a little bit more contemporary than that. (laughs) So what would a secondary text be in that context? So in that context, a secondary text would be an opinion piece on your primary text. Mm, so yes. for example I mentioned the Shakespeare play so it would be you know a scholarly opinion that might be titled something around like the representations of femininity in Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra. Wow that sounds both interesting and complex. <laughs> and complex yeah. Um, so in something like neuroscience um, mm-hmm. a primary text would be the research papers that talk about is it Hodgkin and Huxley and the giant squid axons that Ooh. they use to work out how impulses were passed along neurons 
So that would be primary research. Okay. But when we look at it in a textbook, and it's a you know a summary undergraduate textbook, that would be the secondary literature. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think in in the social sciences, I think a lot of primary texts might begin with textbooks. What do you think? Yes, I know certainly for a lot of the the sciences, psychology, biology, the accepted knowledge is often taught through textbooks in the first year. But we're talking about really good quality textbooks, really quite chunky. Mm, (laughs) Very comprehensive. Yes, yes. And then in the second year and third year, that's when you move from, well, this is the accepted knowledge to the stuff that's, you know, on the the edge of what we know, which might be a bit controversial, you know, different viewpoints about it. Mm. And those, that's when we start looking at primary research papers and start evaluating them, critiquing them, looking at methods in a lot more detail. Yeah. So, I mean, with what you've said about things that might be a little bit more controversial, it's not necessarily because the ideas or the research embodied with them are like really wild or out there, but I think it's just more that there is limited research to prove that certain things Mm. work or happen or don't work. Yeah, that's what scares me about science, is that (laughs) sometimes we're talking about things that are happening on an atomic and molecular scale. So we can't see that. Mm -hmm. So we're relying on experiments to imply or indicate something that we can't see. Mm. So And an experiment is only really as good as the team that designs it isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, one group might say, well, this experiment demonstrates this conclusion, whereas another group may take the same type of experiment and say, actually, no, it doesn't. It demonstrates this. Mm -hmm. So that's when you start to get disagreements amongst experts, which is very exciting. It is very exciting, but that's what it means, I suppose, when it comes to, you know, when we talk about developing your criticality and your critical skills, Like, how do you, in simple terms, like, how do you know kind of what to believe when you're reading something? And I suppose the short answer to that is you can kind of believe everything, but you need to be aware of their limitations and Mm. you need to be able to evaluate how accurate, how, how accurate the results might be, how thorough the research is, how comprehensive are the samples, how long a period has it taken place over for example so for example if you're researching like the effectiveness of a particular drug over 10 years versus over one year you'll know that the study that's taking place over 10 years is going to be way more comprehensive Mm -hmm. same goes with you know sample sizes yeah criticality brings up so many many questions and this is something that I'm sure we're not going to just spend one podcast on no but many because there are lots of different ways of approaching it but a simple one is to ask questions like what, who, when, why. Super yes. easy. And yeah. that's just, you know, just a starter. But we'll go into some... We'll go into more, more detail story. in the future. But also, in, when it comes to the criticality, I think we will focus future podcast episodes on really delving into particular topics so that, you know, it gives you a good idea of Ooh, what marvelous. we're talking about. So if there are certain topics you'd like us to delve into the criticality around and model some of these techniques, please send us a DM. So what kind of topics could we look at? Oh, so for example, if you have been set your first assignment topics, we'd be very happy to kind of explore some of the criticality around that with you. Obviously, so here's our little disclaimer. 
We are not going to write the essay for you, but it's just about brainstorming some ideas. Mm. You know, what are the routes you can go on when you're analyzing your essay topic? And what kind of evidence do you feel you would need in order to really develop your argument? And that will help you structure your essay as well. And, you know, there's a lot to go into with all that. So like I say, an essay topic would be really good to like really delve into these techniques. So send us your assignment topics when you get them. I actually find it really interesting, even if it's a topic I don't know anything about. Yes. It's about asking questions, really. It is. And the most deceptive ones are the ones that are phrased very simply. If an assignment question or a topic is phrased really simply and you kind of think, oh, yeah, no problem, I can do that, we will challenge you. So send us those topics and we'll go into them in a lot more detail and hopefully you'll get loads out of that process. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the simple topics. I think we had one in biological sciences, which was the cell. It yeah, just like writing what? something. Right about the cell. I think so. There must have been a question. <laughs> there should. What, well, what does the cell do? That's the thing. Are cells important? Something like that. Day the cells, in the life of a cell. The cell is very broad, isn't it? Because from there you can go into, are we talking about plant cells, animal cells, human cells, brain exactly. cells? That's the thing with deceptive yeah simple questions and if you've got a thousand word essay you need to narrow it down to either you're going to do you're going to try and do a comprehensive rundown of cells in general which means that it's really hard to focus on one thing and you need to have a very broad knowledge or you focus on one type of cell and you devote your thousand words to that but you need to define the scope of your response in your introduction yes so I'll stop there with that one now. We'll cover that in more detail. <laughs> we could just go on and because on, and we, need, we will. <laughs> we need to go back to that reading list. We do. Okay. So it's a big reading list, and we've looked at primary, secondary textbook type sources. You also get books, which tend to be a review of the subject area, the topic. Yeah. And so those may have been written by different research labs or you know mm. uh, key figures in that particular area. So what else? Okay, so um, the other thing I was going to say is, so earlier on, I mentioned that secondary texts would be like, for example, scholarly article. So a critical uh, kind of scholarly article on the representations of femininity in Antony and Cleopatra, for example. However, you might be asked to kind of analyze critical theory as a primary text. So for example, in a lot of words there. Okay, in a lot of introductory modules, so the modules that kind of set the foundations for the kind of knowledge that you need to build on for the rest of your degree, they will often be called things like critical methods or critical theory. And the idea is to kind of teach you different ways of analyzing certain issues, different ways of thinking, different perspectives. And so in those cases, when you are set the reading for those modules or those seminars, you're very likely to be asked uh, to look at, for example, read this chapter on a certain critical theory. So read this chapter on Marxism, for example. So that is about a critical tradition and perspectives. So it kind of contradicts a little bit about what I was saying about, you know, what are the kind of scholarly perspectives around a primary text. But it depends on the purpose of your seminar and it depends on the purpose of your topic Hmm. sometimes. So the boundaries can be a little bit shady at times. Mm. Okay, so that's an interesting link. 
purpose of why you're doing this reading is that yeah. an important thing to have yes I think it is always really important because so you're not just reading for the fun of it or to just get I'm general afraid not the subject area <laughs> if you found the information in our podcast useful please share your aha moments by either tagging us at weird.learning on social media or telling us in a dm We'd really love to hear from you so we can share even more helpful tips. Feel free to ask us questions about your uni assignments and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes or on our socials. So do follow us and or subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss new content. Finally, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please tell your friends about it and consider leaving us a review on Google, iTunes, Spotify or whichever platform you use so that we can reach and help more people. It also means that we can make this podcast even better. If you email us a screenshot of your review, we'll also enter you in a weekly prize draw to win a half-hour study consultation with us, completely free. More information is available in our show notes. So this episode may seem a little disjointed, and apologies for that. During the original recording, Alex's laptop unfortunately died, and she's since been struck down by COVID, so we haven't been able to record together. I'm pleased to report that she's feeling much better now, but as you'll all know, the university term has started, things are getting busy for us, and it's been tricky to coordinate our schedules. So it's me, Tracy, recording solo today. Just before Alex's laptop died, she asked me a really good question, so I'll pick up on that now, and that's whether we're just reading for the fun of it at university. Now, as a three-time English literature graduate, I sure do believe in reading for pleasure, and I did when I was a student as well. I'll tell you a story of how I went completely off-piste when I started my PhD. My topic started generally with banqueting in Renaissance drama. I know that's quite niche, and I harboured the somewhat romantic notion that I could now go away and read every food history book to my heart's desire. My supervisor queried what I was reading, so I told her. It was an uncomfortable conversation, but necessary, as books on the history of bread, the history of food in Britain, and so on were too general to start with, and it's unlikely I would have learnt anything too productive from it anyway. I did, however, go on to incorporate some of these resources in my thesis, but this was done in a much more strategic way, to ensure that it was all relevant to my project. So when you seek support, it's important to be coachable. This means you may not have the answers to your next step yet, but your tutor, advisor, or mentor will help you identify what that should be. Their questions may feel uncomfortable, but it usually comes from a good place, and you need to be open and honest with your responses to get the best outcomes from these appointments. So, in order to engage properly during seminars and do well in your assignments, you need to devise a research and reading strategy, and understand what the purpose of your reading is. This always begins with analysing your task, whether it's reading to prepare for a class discussion or preparing for an assessed essay. Now we get asked a whole range of questions around academic writing, such as how do I structure my essay clearly? I'm so confused by all the articles and research out there, how do I organise it all? How do I write my introduction? My tutor tells me that some of my points are irrelevant, that they go into too much detail, or that I'm not specific enough. How do I improve in these areas? When you're writing an essay, this always boils down to analysing your topic first. And I'm really excited to share that Alex and I are preparing a free webinar on how to go about this. We'll be releasing details on how to sign up on Thursday the 13th of October, so be sure to set your reminders. We'll be setting you a reminder too. Analysing your essay topic is such an integral part of academic writing that 
Even if you think you know what we're talking about, I strongly urge you to sign up and attend. It's completely free and the information we'll be sharing is absolute gold. Take it, keep practicing it every time you have an assignment to work on, and if you implement our recommendations, you'll be on your way to achieving a first-class degree. Okay, since I mentioned earlier about approaching your reading list when it comes to seminar preparation and approaching assignments, let's focus on how to decide what and how much to read when preparing for class discussions first. When you're reading to prepare for class, this is usually so you can present a brief summary of what you've read and engage in discussions. So read what you're asked to read. This may seem really obvious, but sometimes what you're asked to read can be difficult to understand. Make sure you develop a thorough understanding of the information presented to you so that you're able to engage with discussion in seminars or tutorials. So okay, but what if you don't understand any of it? That's a real barrier. We talked about different kinds of social interactions in episode 4 on Freshers' Week. As with our social lives, there may be some interactions that we may not want to admit to. And the same goes for resources like Wikipedia, searching on Google, using YouTube, for example. In fact, there are some academics who may tell you never to turn to websites like Wikipedia. However, if there are some concepts that you're having trouble grasping, there's no shame in turning to other resources to help you form a basic understanding of concepts before you build upon this knowledge. And yes, this means that you could find something online that just makes difficult concepts easier to grasp. Just be sure to have a look at a couple of different sources to make sure the information is consistent. In the university context, the resources I've just described are known as grey literature. They are not peer-reviewed, and so they sit outside what's called the academic canon, which consists of monographs, that's a fancy word for a book, journal articles, readers, which are basically collections of essays, and academic textbooks. Look at a variety of sources because individuals explain things differently. So find explanations that resonate with you. Try to develop such a comfortable understanding of these concepts that you're able to play around with the ideas a little. Apply them to real-world situations so you can engage with the discussions in class. This makes for a much richer learning experience when you're at university. We explained what primary texts are earlier in this episode. If you will be discussing a primary text in seminars, then you'll need to have read it beforehand. But you won't necessarily need to have read the whole text. Sometimes it'll be sufficient to read a couple of chapters and dip into a few secondary resources to make yourself aware of the critical debates surrounding the text. If you're studying for a degree in the sciences, then it's likely that your course will be very knowledge-based if you're in the foundation year. This means that you'll be tested to make sure that you have a solid understanding of established knowledge in your subject before continuing. It's very likely that your course will still be very heavily reliant on learning from textbooks in the first year. So our advice to ensure that you have a full understanding of the key concepts still applies. Use grey literature to make these concepts more accessible if you're struggling with them. You'll start to use specialised databases to find journal articles in your second year, with a view to formulating a research question for a longer research project in your final year. We'll go into all of this in future episodes. So what if you're preparing an assignment? What do you need to read then? The most effective way to produce an assignment that clearly answers the question, presents relevant evidence, and engages with it critically is to analyse your topic first. We'll have to devote much more time to explaining this and giving you examples. So as I mentioned earlier, the webinar that we're planning is exactly what you need to help you with this. Set your reminders to sign up for the 13th of October. We'll be releasing another special episode on study tips, and the link will be in our show notes. If you'd like us to help you analyse your essay question, please send them to us by email team at weirdlearning.co.uk 
or DM, along with all the guidelines that your module tutor has provided, and we'll discuss them during the webinar. Another question that's commonly asked, how many resources do I need to read or to have in my reference list for an assignment? We don't give definitive answers for this because it depends. However, in our next podcast episode, which is on study tips, as I mentioned, we'll be welcoming Kia Morant back on the show again. For those of you who haven't heard episode 5, where she shares her experiences of settling in at uni, Kia is a third-year student at Aston University. She's very resourceful, naturally gifted at synthesizing information, and seems to instinctively understand what critical thinking is. She also demonstrates a lot of potential in terms of her emerging leadership skills from group work. She tends to achieve firsts in her academic work, and she has very specific rules which she follows when it comes to how many sources to include on her reference list. Of course, you don't have to do exactly as Kia does, but you might find her approach useful. Alright, so that's all we have for today. Remember that critical thinking is a skill that can be learned and improved with practice. So be sure to tune in to our next episode with Kia to hear her most valuable study and time management advice. If you apply all these recommendations, then you'll be on your way to achieving a first in your assignments too. Thank you for joining us on the Weird Learning Podcast. We don't take it lightly that you've chosen us to help you succeed in your studies. Until next time, take care. You have been listening to Weird Learning with Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Battelle. Music by Defect Machine from Pixabay. Produced by Kelly Costigan.